0: Could you imagine hearing that your child has been in a car accident with a semi-trailer and then going to the hospital and finding that no one can give you a straight answer. So this chat with Mark, he goes through the the uncertainty that lasted for not just days but months and years with the recovery of his son. Having to go through all the different layers and moments of grief when more realizations came to him. And after going through all of that, then realizing there was a heap of stuff from his childhood that he didn't even know he needed to grieve, and then having to go through and unpack all of that. But it's also a story of hope, and it's also a story of how you can recover from particularly challenging times and grief with yourself and the most important people in your life. Really love this chat. Enjoy. G'day everyone and welcome this week's guest, Mark Gablowski. Mark, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ian. You're welcome and and thank you so much for coming on to share your story. We'll just Chatting before we jumped on our, our mutual connections, Maddie Wolf and, and Alison Rodden, who have both been on this uh, podcast and and told their story. So they you come with a great reputation, so I'm, and a ah. great story. So I'm looking forward to sharing. Thanks. And I'm also really appreciative that you are pre- prepared to tell this story because from everything you've described. Uh, quite a traumatic one and, and multi-layered. So can you share with the listeners the, that what unfolded for you all those years ago to your son? Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> my
1: son's name is Josh. And uh, in August of 2005, he was riding in the back of his uh, mother's car and uh, – they were headed somewhere on the interstate and he was strapped into a you know regular uh, child seat uh, appropriately and it was secured appropriately everything was great unfortunately um his mother's car was hit by a semi truck the truck moved into her lane she was there he moved in she tried to get out of the way he clipped her car And the car spun across, I think it was four or five lanes. And um, when it came to a stop, it it stopped perfectly in the middle of the lane, pointed in the correct direction, except immediately another semi hit them right square in the trunk. And uh, he was in the back seat. And... um, yeah, the, the first driver kept on rolling. It it was actually a hit and run. Oh, wow. Uh, and the second driver did stop. A lot of people stopped to try to help, you know, but the, the, the peculiar thing is nobody saw – everybody saw the truck, but nobody got a license plate. And oh, so wow. the driver's never been found. Um, but at any rate, Josh, um, Josh's mom was – knocked pretty, um, you know, kind of delirious. Uh, and, and when the helpers, uh, passersby came to help get her out of the car, um, she didn't say anything about Josh being in the back seat. And the trunk had pushed into the back seat. So now the back seat, the back of the back seat, was smashed against the front seat, oh, uh, the shoot. back of the front seat. So you couldn't see him. But when they once they got her out his her front seat popped out popped forward, and his his little arm dropped out oh, and so one of the guys is like, "Oh my God, there's a kid in here, so you know they get him out, paramedics show up, and um you know they do whatever they can and get him sent off to the trauma unit uh that day and um you know, the funny thing was, and I didn't realize this for five years, but uh, before the police let the uh, tow truck driver put the car up on the tow truck, yeah. they had written the word fatality across the windshield. Oh, what? Um, they never thought he would. There, there was almost like no consideration for his survival. His respirations were so low. Um so anyhow, they get him to the uh, ICU or not the ICU, but the emergency room. They do what they can, and they get him up to the pediatric ICU. Um. Eventually, I I got a phone call from his grandfather, who had gotten a phone call from the hospital about um, his daughter, uh, you know, Josh's mom. Yeah. So I took off for the hospital, but I didn't really know much. All. All his grandfather could tell me was that Josh was in the pediatric ICU, the PICU, and he was unconscious. I had no idea what unconscious meant. I know what it could mean. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know for sure what it did mean.
0: So, um, does the uncertainty at that point scarier, or just getting that news in itself like was enough to, like, what was the reaction?
1: my reaction was I need to get to the hospital. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I just jumped in my truck and I, I left. Um, I had a cousin who in 82 had suffered a, a pretty terrible car accident and she had a severe brain injury as well. So I was kind of familiar with what could go wrong yeah um in those circumstances but i what i didn't want to let my mind race i didn't want to yeah. let it get out of control i was like okay you don't know what's going on here you don't know what the truth is but the truth to be honest i mean i was scared but i was trying to keep myself calm with i don't know the facts i need the facts i needed i need information um but the longer i was on the road and it was it's not a terribly long drive maybe 15 minutes but the longer I was on the road, the more concerned I got, you know, and then, and, you know, yeah. I'm a praying man anyhow. So I started to pray and, um, you know, I got a sense of calm, uh, you know, for the ride in. And then, uh, but once I got there, my panic set in full blown. Oh, I bet. Cause I, I didn't know where the uh, pick you was. And it's a chopped up hospital, so they couldn't even give me like, oh, just go to the elevator, eighth floor, you're there. It wasn't one of those deals. Hmm. So eventually I get to the PICU and um, walk down the hallway. Well, I ask a nurse where Josh, you know, where's my son? And she says, she tells me where, and I walk down there and I walk into the room and then all I can see is my son in the bed. And, you know, he's just got tubes. Everywhere he's on life support. Yeah, um, you know, and there's monitors all over the room. It's that pretty just, cou-
0: crowded. Yeah, did that like hit you like a yeah, wave? No. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: you know, it's like getting punched in the face and the yeah. gut at the same time. Yeah, wow. Like everything about your body is just
0: overwhelmed. You know, because of the moves. thoughts in your head. Yeah, and it makes it real, right? All those different things oh. that you've thought about, and then here it is. Wow, mate, I yeah. can't, I, I can't imagine how you even stayed on your feet at that point.
1: Um, you know, it was interesting. I, I remember just standing there and just doing this just putting my hands up on my head and just going you know i was trying to like i don't know what i was i don't know if i was trying to keep something in my head or keep other things from getting inside my head but it was just it was still it was some protection mechanism of like i needed to like calm my brain down a little bit i think um because it was overwhelming and it was it was physio physical yeah yeah you know I mean, I could feel it in my body, in my
0: gut, in my chest. It was yeah. I think yeah. That's one of those things that people don't. Well, not that you get prepared for those moments of grief, but um, you can't hear me. Can you hear me now? What about now? Nothing. 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 What is going on? Test, test. No, I'm not getting anything here either. Now? Test, test, test.
1: I think I got you
0: oh you got me here I got you now okay cool but oh, um, right we can edit that bit out uh, yeah so uh, not that you ever get prepared for, for grief but one of the things people don't talk about is that it's a full-body experience like you said like that you find out about parts of it that you didn't even know existed right yeah for sure um,
1: you know I I've taught martial arts for a long time and so I've been I've been schooled in fear and anxiety and how to respond, etc. But there's some things you can't prepare for. I mean, I thought I was prepared for lots of things in life. I, I was yeah. spent nine and a half years in the military. I'd been doing martial arts for I don't know, fifteen years at that time. I I ran a school full time. I taught other people how how to deal with stress and uh, fear and danger. But you can't be prepared for everything. Like there's things that come out of the blue that you never thought were going to happen and then you're overwhelmed by it.
0: And that's yeah. normal. Yes, absolutely. Now, at that moment, you've got no concept of how badly injured he's going to be or, or, or anything really. But like, how did you get through just that immediate hour? You know, it it was it was a fact
1: finding mission for me. You know, I was talking to his grandparents, trying to get from them what they knew. As nurses and or doctors came in, uh, yeah. I would try and get information from them. The unfortunate thing was is nobody could tell me anything because they didn't know anything. You know, if it was a if it was a punctured lung, uh, a bruised spleen, and seven bones broken. They could tell, you know, but with brain injuries, it's not like that. And and that was one of the most difficult things to deal with was simply the lack of information, the, the lack of knowledge. And it wasn't the doctor's fault. I mean, it's just the nature of brain injuries. All they could tell me was his EEG has almost no activity on it. it there's almost no brain activity at this point. Oh, wow. Um
0: okay I don't know. I probably haven't explained this part to you yet, mark, but I often get like um information from my body and i I've, I've got this stabbing in my left eye it's which is generally mirroring back is there something going on with your right eye or his right eye like oh his left eye your left eye yeah his left eye was injured yeah right um
1: can he see from it he he could see um he actually um His left orbital socket was broken in multiple places. Yeah. But um, his vision wasn't damaged. He could still see correctly, but his eyes were pinned to the right side. Eventually, we found that out because of the brain damage. It just made the muscles in his body just stop working correctly. But his left orbital socket was damaged severely.
0: Yeah, right. So, like, I'm sure just in those, in that day, and then the, and then the sort of days, like the unknown and the uncertainty, like. I mean, you mentioned it before. Like, it has to be the most challenging time of your life. Just that. Yeah. Immediate aftermath. Yeah. Um.
1: I had some challenges in my life, but never anything like that it's um like i said it's it you know it, it's kind of every parent's worst nightmare you know you, you imagine when your kids are babies like oh God, what what if they drown what if somebody kidnaps them what if something happened? what if they get cancer you know like yeah. but this is re- this was real like it was all my nightmares yeah now they're real and nobody can tell me anything on top of it
0: so how how long did it take before they could give you any information and and what was that? Um,
1: This happened on a Friday morning and then on Monday morning, the neurosurgeon showed up and amazing guys names, Dr. Bill Thorell um, at the university of Nebraska here, medical center. And uh, this guy walks in, he's bald headed. He's chomping on some gum and he sticks his hand out and he says, Hi, I'm Bill Thorell. and I'm I'm the guy taking care of your kid. Now, I had seen a number of doctors since Friday. Nobody said, I'm the guy taking care of your kid, or I'm the I'm the woman taking care. Nobody. Um, and, and just that little brief tiny smidgen of ownership that he took. Yeah, wow. Started to Shift things for me a little bit emotionally. It felt a little different. Like, oh wait, somebody sounds like they know what they're doing. I mean, like they they have knowledge that nobody else has. I guess Mm. I don't want to shortchange them. Other doctors,
0: Um, of course, yeah. But it's the if you look at the psychology of it, how important it is to get that the ownership and and knowing that someone cares enough that they're going to come and introduce yourself, introduce themselves. It's a good lesson in all situations, but. As you're gone through that, so let me jump jump back. So, yeah.
1: as he was telling me, you know what they could see on the different image imaging. Um, eventually, he said, "If your son survives the first seven days, he'll probably live." Does that make it worse? No, 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 man. I'm telling you, like, it made it better. In one way, it made it better because it gave me some target. It gave me, Mm -hmm. like, okay, if he makes it seven days, then things might get better. And that's, I mean, I didn't know if they would get better, but he's like, he'll live. That much I knew. Okay, if he makes it a week, he'll live. Um, Beyond that, I didn't know. So my first target was, you know, to get to the next Friday, and uh, that gave me hope, you know, gave me yeah. hope,
0: yeah. And, and I like how you describe that, it gives you a target, like when you're in a place of complete uncertainty and and uh, imagine fear and you're thinking about all the different possibilities. At least you've got something now to aim at, yeah. You know, the first night we were in there after um all the
1: visitors left, um. I pulled the chair over next to his bed and this is how scared I was. Um, I, I pulled the chair next to his bed, these cheesy, terrible recliners that they give to you to sit in, in the hospitals. And yeah. I pulled it over so that my head was facing his fat head. So yeah. I was down by his feet. What I what I wanted to do is I wanted to hold his hand through the night because I thought in my head, like, maybe if I can hold his hand, he'll still be here in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Like maybe I can hold on to him and keep him here. Um, but I, I didn't know if he'd be alive in the
0: morning. Well, everything I've learned about people and energy and like just the fact that you're there would have had tremendous, tremendous healing capacity because we when we share a space like that like but at that point I guess you're like I think about after I've lost someone and they and they're no longer here you you reach for anything like have conversations with them, all sorts of things. But at that point where you where you still feel like I don't know, is it like do you feel like you have some semblance of control by doing that? That's what I, I think that's what I was looking for. Some
1: stabilization, some control, some something to anchor to or you know, in order to keep that, you know, to me it was like I'm in the midst of a storm and I needed to Stabilize or anchor to something, so I wouldn't get blown away. Or,
0: yeah, you know, I don't know
1: if I'm making any sense, but
0: uh yeah, no, absolutely. So you get to seven days. Yep. And and what like was it like? You woke up on the seventh day, and you're like, well, <laughs> I was pretty gonna... happy. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. pretty
1: happy, in spite of nothing had changed. He was in a coma. Yeah. Like, and, and the funny thing is, is nobody used the word coma. Huh. Nobody. Nobody said the word "coma" to me for a month. It was weird. Yeah. but anyhow, yeah, it was a good day, and I thought, okay, now what? Yeah. What's next? And then the next thing was to to uh, consult with a rehabilitation doctor who eventually uh, yeah, came in within a couple of days after that, and we talked about some possible, you know, some opportunities for Um, his healing, if it was possible. And the doctor was very honest with me and um, he was not making any promises as he was talking to us. And I finally, I says, doc, is it, um, are you telling me that how he is right now in that bed? Are you telling me that that might be as good as it gets? Wow. And he says, Yes, I am.
0: Oh, did
1: that crush you? You know, it, it's weird, but it was a it was another point of okay. Now I know the I know what's worst. I know what the worst uh, way this thing plays out is. So let's shoot for better. Like I, I mean, I didn't know what was within anybody's power, but I wanted to, I wanted to find a solution. Um. I, I wanted to do whatever we could to maximize whatever we could. Of course. Yeah. So it was. It was good and bad in the same thing. But that bad was like the basement. You know what I mean? Like it was the bottom. Because now he wasn't going to die. He was going to live. Yeah. And this might be the worst it get that it gets, but we might be able to, change that into something else by going through rehab. So we, uh, they put a feeding tube in him and, um, after about three weeks, went to
0: a a rehabilitation hospital and spent three months there. And so three months, like, like how long before he actually, uh, came out of the coma then? He actually came out of the coma on, technically on
1: day 34, but he was no different on day 35 than he was on day 34. It's just, yeah, yeah. you know, it's how they measure things. And if, if he twitched a certain way when they made a noise, they're like, yeah. oh, that's consciousness. So it, it's okay. kind of technical, but. Yeah, he didn't wake. It's not like TV. Then it, he didn't wake up and say, "Hey, can somebody give me my Batman toy, or can I yeah. have ice cream?" It was nothing like that.
0: Yeah. So, can you describe then, then that road? Like, maybe rather than less going through the whole uh, chronological. Steps of the recovery. Just go mm-hmm. through some of those milestone milestone moments and and um, how they unfolded.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, you know, we he started on a regimen of seven hours of therapy a day, and um, did that Monday through Friday, and then half a day on Saturdays. And this went on for you know weeks. And yeah. but there was a point along the way where I could feel like I was losing my energy i felt like i was losing hope you know I, I i was hopeful but there wasn't progress i mean you there wasn't much it's not like he was moving his arms it was not like he stood up and why he couldn't swallow his own spit oh, I mean, so i i started to get pretty depressed about it and, and but I, I i i knew i couldn't stay that way and and there was this quote that I had heard a long time before that. And it, it came to mind because I was asking myself, like, how do I keep going here? I can't fail him. Um, I need to be here. And it's there's this quote I want to share. It's always remember in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Always remember in the dark what you know to be true in the light. So, you know, for me, the dark was he's in a coma. He's got a brain injury. He can't move. He can't do anything, but I really believed that he would be healed and I was going to kind of hang my hat on that. And so that gave me the energy to kind of keep going. Um, and, uh, you know, we went through the entire 12 weeks. He started to kind of walk with help. Um, he couldn't talk yet. Uh, and then, um, after the 12 weeks there, it was about four months total in the hospitals. And, uh, you know, we were sent off to outpatient, outpatient status, which w- was terrifying for me.
0: That might have yeah. been as scared as I was the whole time there. Because oh, of the uh, the certainty and uh, safety of. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, man, I, I don't want to leave here. Yeah, right.
1: What if this happens? What if that happens? I can't fit, you know, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse, but um, and I didn't tell that to anybody. I just, like, kept it
0: in me, which wasn't a good thing. You know? No. So I'm, I'm guessing you weren't with his mother at this point. Yeah,
1: his mom and I weren't married, um, and we weren't together at that point. So there was other complications
0: and challenges, but yeah. So, so how did you like, were you supporting each other at all through that time? And, and if not, like where, where were you getting your support? Uh, yeah. I didn't get any support from her on this.
1: Um, I tried to be supportive. I, hmm. I just know how I felt and, you know, yeah. I, I could only imagine how she felt. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I I played my hand not very well in that area. I didn't go looking for support. Um, I didn't think I, I don't know if I didn't think I needed it or if I didn't think I should need it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. from, From my experience personally and from working with other people is it's generally that second one. Yeah. We it almost feels like we're weak, or yeah, or we're not. You know, we're not good enough if we if we reach out. But it's quite the opposite. It's As exactly you yeah. It was it was the worst thing I
1: could have done.
0: Yeah. So if you go then through the through the years, like how have you been able to? Well, let's go here. Like, when when eventually did you realise that you weren't coping? Like, what, mm-hmm. was there another sort of um, moment of like, I can't do this anymore, on my own? Yeah, I um, and this was. Josh was probably.
1: This was probably. Six years after he got hurt, five yeah. five years. So you battle on for that long. I did. and may I say foolishly (laughs) yeah yeah um I I was literally at the end of the at at the end of my rope and Hmm. a friend of mine who has two children um on the autism spectrum uh brought to me a flyer for an event that was held here in Nebraska offered through the Department of Education uh, called Parents Encouraging Parents and um on the on the brochure it listed all these different like sessions that they had at this little conference when i looked at the back the one on the back said good grief and i was like i don't care about any other session that's the one i need to see because i am grieving i am broken inside and i and i i couldn't tell anybody that I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't think I could tell anybody that. And I didn't think I had anybody I could tell. Um, you know, I was out here by myself, my family is spread out all over the place. There was I had friends, but I don't, you know, I we'll go back to the what I said before and what you, you mentioned. Like you you think you shouldn't. Yeah. You think you shouldn't need others. And
0: yeah. That's the furthest thing from the truth. hundred percent I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Rohn, but one of oh, yeah. uh, one of his quotes, well, I think it's probably my favorite, is when the student is ready, ready the teacher will appear. Mm. And he certainly appeared in my life at a time where I was ready to hear what he was saying. It was actually the first video I saw from him was exactly that message. And, what well, that's what sort of dawned on me when you when you said that's the one I've got to go to. It had been six years, but you were ready, right? You are ready. That- I, I was ready, I, and I was only ready because the pain had gotten
1: so bad. Yeah, the 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 pain, the grief, the pain, whatever I was experiencing on the inside of watching my son, who still wasn't—he was better, but he wasn't fixed. And
0: what what was the pain? Was it guilt? Pain. Was it Uh, hopelessness? Was it like lots of different things? Um, The pain was
1: my son was broken and I couldn't fix it. Mm. And and to watch him struggle, to do the simplest things, whereas before the accident, he, he, he was on steroids. I mean, he wasn't really on steroids, but he was just so alive and his physicality and his intellect, like it was just, you know, amazing. And, um, and then it, it seemed like it was all stolen from him and, I think that I felt a sense of injustice too. I couldn't really put words to all of it then. Yeah. You know, it's been a number of years since that day and I'm better now because I've done a lot of internal work of trying to understand because grief just grief doesn't just stop because you go to a grief conference. Yeah, exactly. And, or read a book or talk to your pastor or like it may never end. It could certainly get better. Yeah. But there may be a little twinge where you, you still miss that person or you miss what you
0: had or whatever. Yeah. It's it's the waves yeah. that just keep coming and you think it's gone and then and then another one comes crashing down. And it's again, it's the part that in like to me, that's the part through grief we're never prepared for. Like it's relentless. So you went to that conference. What did you like? Did you then speak to someone on that day, or did you like have a moment where you broke down, or like what did unfold? <laughs> I had more than one moment. One moment when
1: I broke down, I can yeah. assure you of that. Yeah. Um, I could smile about it because that being at that conference like changed my life you know what i mean it it buoyed me like it now instead of just treading water and and from fatigue you can't tread anymore there was this buoy that i i could latch on to and and now i wasn't just holding myself up with my own strength i had the strength of meeting all these other people who were going through nobody else at that conference had a child with a brain injury but they were all going through something um some things that maybe weren't as dramatic but they were as difficult you know because it's your kid um so uh they had three sessions of what they called small group discussions so thursday friday saturday and you went to one on each and on your first one you you kind of picked out how you felt based on some drawings and then on, uh, you know, the last day you pick out again. And I'm telling you, I, I was like a new man simply because there were some skilled people at asking questions. Yeah. And there was a two hour session of just a panel of parents who got up there and just told their own stories of what they had gone through. They weren't professional speakers. There were people like me and you and they um, maybe you're a professional speaker, too. I don't <laughs> I don't, mean to, I don't mean to minimize. No, no, not at all. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> no offense taken. Okay. Anyhow, um, there were these parents just up there telling their stories in this, I don't know, two or two and a half hour session of just talking about grief and how there's different stages of grief and that when you wake up on this day, it's this way. But when you wake up on the other day, you're in a different stage but nothing really changed, but you just woke up and you felt different because there were different thoughts or whatever. So that, that conference, I walked out of there with hope. Like I really, I believed that things could get better. I didn't know if it could get better for Josh, but I knew it could get better for me, like how I could handle it. So
0: getting some tools in the area of grief changed my life. Yeah, that's oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You said, though, that for the first 12 or 12 to 15 years of, of after the accident, there was still part of you that, that kept believing he was going to get better, but then the realization that that wasn't the case. Can you describe what that was like?
1: Yeah, so Josh was um... – in high school at this point. And at about the age of 13, he became aware of his own disabilities. Like he realized he had disabilities and that was a tough day because he came to me and out of the blue says, dad, I, I don't like having disabilities. Um, And I couldn't really fix it, (laughs) but we did sit down and watch a 45 minute, video of Nick Volchek isn't he I think he's an Aussie isn't he not familiar with him okay oh, right. that's fine so um anyhow at 13 I started to see that it I was getting glimpses of maybe this was was not going to fix itself eventually I, I continued to believe that he was going to be completely healed and ride motorcycles someday um But i kept getting glimpses like well maybe that's not going to happen and by the time he was 18 i was in a full-blown depression because one day i realized he's like a nine-year-old and i can't change that and i'm never going to be able to change it and now i have to give up this dream that i had of how this was all gonna end that the story was gonna have this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and no it's not gonna have a pot of gold and no there's no rainbow you know it's just gonna go on forever and i started to tell myself like, this is never going to end and blah, 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 which did nothing for my mindset and didn't help me at all. Mm. But I, I genuinely went into a depression and it was another one of those valleys of grief that I had to wrestle through. And it took me probably two years
0: to get through that. And and how did you did you at that point did you realize that, that you did need to speak up or did you battle on your own for for a oh no days? I spoke up yeah good on I you I learned my lesson yeah yeah I I, I talked to several
1: people in uh, fields that could help me um, I talked to mental health practitioners I talked to doctors I talked to coaches that I had, um, life coaches to sort this thing out. Yeah. Um, because I, it wasn't like, I wasn't just depressed. I was getting angry. Yeah. Because I felt cheated, you know?
0: Um, that was me angry. And, and you talked about that, like, um, the injustice, Mm-hmm. and you meant you touched on it at the start I don't know if it was before we jumped on or when we were recording but it's like you see this future you imagine it you you have that full body experience of what that's going to be like and then when it's taken away it's yeah it's like oh, it feels like you've been robbed and oh, yeah I was angry so many different levels so so had were you is this where the Kung Fu training came in and helped or was that a hindrance because you were um, continuing to sort of uh, calm yourself without actually processing it? Um, at that point in my life, I,
1: I had the knowledge that I can't just calm myself through okay. this. Like you need to do that too. Yeah. But you need to process what's inside of you. And um and I continue to process that and other things. Um, you know, and I do it through talking with either professionals or life coaches, people who are skilled in asking questions and being objective, um, and helping you to see your see the solution. Um and journaling, a lot a lot of journaling,
0: a lot of journaling. And the regular, list, regular listeners uh, of this podcast will know that I'm a big uh, fan of the journaling as well. Another one I got from Jim Rohn and then learned from guys like Robin Sharma and mm-hmm. the most successful people in the world have a journal. Mm-hmm. They keep a record of where they're at. They, they get their different thoughts out of their head and particularly if you've been through experiences like you're describing, which not comparable but everyone's been through some sort of traumatic oh, yeah. experience uh, um, will be eating away at them so you've come out the other side of that and well actually before we get to to more of your stuff like how is Josh now and what, what have you learnt from him given that no matter what how people are showing up in the world. The ones that have had their biggest challenges, in my experience, are our greatest teachers as well, right? Yeah. So um,
1: Josh has taught me to maintain an indomitable spirit like a spirit that won't be broken or broken down um, to be resilient, to keep trying to keep putting one foot forward. Um, I think some of the things that I learned just from my experience was to maintain to find and maintain perspective. And I I had a lot of things that I needed to learn in order to just be able to get through this. Um, You know, one is forgiveness. Mm. Um, You got to be able to forgive everybody and everything, you know, Mm -hmm. which is not an easy thing to do. And I think forgiveness like grief is you got to
0: keep going back. You gotta keep doing it. Particularly gotta, when as you describe the the driver's still out there somewhere. Yeah. Having to deal with all of that as well.
1: Yeah, you know, and Josh wants to find him. Like Josh genuinely wants to find this guy. And I'm torn. Like, do I do I feed that? Do I do I try? You know, I mean the internet's pretty big these days. Who knows? Hmm. We have some pretty compelling photos of the car and him in a hospital on life support. I'm sure people would share it all over the world, Mm -hmm. you know, a bazillion times. But is I don't know that I don't know if that's right. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what I don't know what I'm feeding if I do that.
0: Mm. Yeah, well I I mean to my mind as a parent, they're gonna they're gonna chase what they chase anyway. There there are some things that like you can try and control them and, and deter them, but when there's part of them that's got to go on the journey themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not sure if there's uh, whether you whether you fuel it or whether you don't whether that's going to necessarily have a big impact on his journey through that. Like he 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 obviously there's some sort of need that needs to be met through that. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is so weird. There's a letter on my desk that's just slid, right? <laughs> so I don't know if you're familiar with that idea, but maybe helping Josh to write a letter to this Ooh. driver. Yeah. That whatever you do with the letter is, is up to him, but just to, so he can get whatever's in his head out so that. That's a great well, idea. At least he can start. That's a great idea. Yeah, start the healing process. Um, now, I don't know if this is significant, but it seems to me be, because it's really standing out, but it's the, the yellow and red. Now, in Australia, that would be reference to rescue. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's something there for that as well, like whether there's some – like those people that saved him, like that – he might not be ready to face the positive elements of that or maybe you might not be either but I, I feel like just from the evidence i'm getting here there might be something to that letter writing in that space as well yeah i think those are i think those are two good ideas and i'm going to i'm going to bounce
1: those off of him hmm. um you know you you asked how he was or where he's at and he's you know he's 21 now and in the last 18 months he wrote two children's books. Wow. Um, now he had help. It was, he didn't literally write them. He told somebody and somebody else helped him and wrote it down, but he, um, he's getting out some of the, you know, what his life is like in real general terms there. I mean, they're for kids books. So they're, yeah. you know, um, they're meant to be encouraging and they're meant to be conversational. But, um, but when he decided he wanted to write books, he when we were getting ready to publish the first one in December of twenty one, he came to me and asked if he could donate the money to kids. Wow, and I was like, "It's your money, man, you can do it. <laughs> who do you want to give it to? you know, And we talked about different charities and He ended up picking a charity that actually had helped him when he was about eight or nine. And since then, since the publishing of the first book and then the second book, he's raised over $8,000 U S. And he's fully funded dreams for two different kids. And he's working on a third, you know what I mean? Raising enough money to fund another third child's dreams and, the the organization is called the sunshine foundation there in here in the united states but they've granted dreams to 40,000 kids and josh helped do into help do two of them
0: Just, i love that and i've heard other stories like that 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 um people who have been the recipients w- wanting to pay that forward or family members and oh that brings me so much joy to hear that like um you know, uh, you know. I asked what what lessons. Well, that's just reminded me of a great lesson. So I appreciate you sharing that, Mark. Um, the other thing you mentioned when you, before we jumped on, was one of the elements of grief that you and I imagine many will relate to. This is that there was a huge element of your childhood that that you needed to grieve, but like most of us, we don't know we need to until it kind of just, it's another one of those waves that comes flooding to the surface after a big grief event. So so how did that come to the surface for you?
1: You know, as a an older teenager and into my adult years, <clears throat> I would do things that were, Self-destructive, say, and like I knew knew these things were self-destructive and harmful to myself or harmful to others. And I would, I would just do them, which doesn't yeah. make any sense on the surface. When you see somebody who's a crack addict or something, you, you're like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just stop? But there's a reason they they can't stop. They can just stop. Yeah. You can't just will yourself through things that are, have emotional roots to them. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, you know, my childhood with my father was super complicated, and um, I grew up in a house that was violent. Um, my father had a particularly uh, frequent statement he would make towards me and that was you're not worth the powder to blow you to hell Oof. and you know I I'd heard it so many times and then I, when I was older I was like I don't know 10 or 11 and I asked him yeah, I said, what does that mean and he told me well if I had enough gunpowder to blow you up it would be a waste of perfectly good bl- gunpowder and, you know, it made me like just stop in my tracks. And in my head, I can't comprehend. I mean, I know exactly what he means. Yeah. But I can't comprehend why my father would think that blowing me up was a good idea. Like, I loved him. Yeah. I loved him. Like, how could you not love me since I love you so much? Um, so anyhow, there was things like that. And there was, uh, uh, you know, I've got scars and physical scars, emotional scars from, from, from my father. And, uh, there was, a, after I was older and he'd be in conversations with other adults and something would come up like, well, did you, uh, Did your parents discipline you and discipline you was code for hit you or spank you. Yeah. So my dad never spanked me, but he beat me. And, um, I would answer these people and say, yeah, but I had it coming. Right. I came to believe like I deserved what my dad did to me like he wouldn't have done it had I not deserved it like I was that my my mind was that messed up Hmm. like you deserved it um and but there was a point where I started to think this this doesn't make any sense um when I was about 35 I I'd been out of the military for several years I was building my martial arts business and I woke up in the middle of the night and I'd had this dream. Well, I didn't know if it was a dream or what it was, but um, I spent almost an hour just like literally pinching myself, pulling my hair and going, did I dream that? Am I dreaming right now or was that real? And I ended up calling up my mom at, uh, like 2.30 in the morning and, and asking her, um, asking her if something happened when I was in kindergarten and she says, yeah. And, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be graphic. Hmm. And this was 30 years after this happened. And this was the only time that's conversation between my mother and I happened regarding this moment in time. Mm -hmm. And my mom says, yeah, and I was like, well, what what happened in kindergarten? And she says, well, you went down on so-and-so, which was an older boy who had molested me. Yeah. And um, like I was shocked when I heard those words. Wait a minute, how does a six-year-old, you you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but it was thirty years later, and that's still how my mother thought. So when it when this happened, it you know it happened on Friday night, and by Monday, when I'm going to kindergarten, like the whole town knew what he had done, except hmm. they didn't have the, the the truth. They had his twisted version of it Yeah. where he could pin the blame on me. Hmm. And when I got to school, I could just, cause the older kids are just, um, you know, like the fifth and sixth graders are my name's Gabloski. Hmm. They had yep. a field day. Yeah. I bet. A, and I, I lived with that for 12 years, 12 more years. Well, until all the older kids got out of school um, so but the the principal um called me out of my classroom and wanted to uh know what happened and i i I couldn't connect what the kids outside were saying to what he was asking to Friday night. I had no connection Hmm and I start crying cause he's getting more and more frustrated and I don't know how to answer him. I just say, no, nothing happened. And, um, finally he says, Mark, something happened Friday night and you need to tell me what you did. <laughs> and then, and then in an instant, I know, I know exactly what he's talking about. And I could just feel the blood just like rushed into my, I, my ears are burning right now just yeah. thinking about it. It's happening again. And um, he lectures me and he gets, puts his hands down on his knees. He bends forward, gets like, I don't know, foot from my face. It says, Mark, you can never do that again. Do you understand me? I was like, yeah, yes, sir. And I can't hardly talk. Um, I go home. Not a word is said. <laughs> like, there's no police. There's nothing. My parents never say a word to me about it. They know. Yeah. I know they know. But the the reason I, I knew that they knew was a week later, my mom and dad are having this discussion and I'm in a room next to them and I can hear them talking. I know they're talking about this day, but I still don't understand any of it.
0: Mm. Too young to comprehend any of that at that point.
1: You, it's what six-year-old understands what any type of sex is.
0: Yeah. At that point, did you know what had happened to you previously and the right and wrong of any of that? The only the only wrong of it that I understood
1: was whatever I did, that was wrong.
0: You're right. So you, so you very much then take forward the... Your part in it, instead of. Ugh. So, so is it only at that age that? What, what? How does that then start to make sense to you? Because it sounds like you just buried it for the next thirty well, years. here, yeah, yeah, kind of, but not really. So,
1: I know my parents are having this discussion about this moment in time. Yeah. And my dad, my dad's last words. And this is the like I I tell you, I knew I knew they were talking about. I can't tell you anything they said, but I can tell you the last thing my father said. I need to drop an F bomb. Go for it. Okay. My dad says to my mom, that's great. My kids are fucking homo. Oh, wow. So (laughs) I have no idea what fucking homo means. Mm. Um but I could feel the contempt that dripped from his words. And I carried that forward with me. And then as I got older, I did figure out what those words meant. And while I never felt drawn to a male, never had felt any interest in being engaged with a male, um, I wondered, I wondered if I was gay because my dad said I was. Yeah, right. Um, so naturally, I, I went to the other extreme, the older I got. And, you know, quite honestly, um, I don't want to say abused women in terms of like sexually. I, I don't want to make it sound like that. But I abused them in the sense that I was never honest with them mm. about my intentions.
0: Yeah, I get ya.
1: Yeah. Not, not so amazing. I used them. I used them. And yeah, maybe I didn't abuse them, but I used yeah. them. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it, lots of guys do it, but you know what? It, it wasn't who I wanted to be, but I did it anyhow. Because I was compensating for all these other thoughts in my head. So,
0: um, yeah. it's like, but shortly after that, something you said before. Um, Keep going. There's a bit of a delay now. I, um,
1: not too, too long after that, I, I could be driving down the street and out of the blue, my emotions would just literally come up from my stomach through my chest and just pouring out of my eyes. And my chest would hurt just from – there was so much unexpressed grief of yeah. my own behaviors of how i was treated of how different things were handled um and i would just weep and it would seemingly come out of nowhere and i never understood it but it was the grief of the pain that was never explained to me and i and it was never processed and i never dealt with any of it i just used alcohol and drugs and women to sedate. And eventually I couldn't sedate enough.
0: Yeah. It's like you said earlier, you can't will yourself past something. Yeah, If it's there, it's there and it needs to be processed. So was there a a key thing that helped you get through that next level of grief? Or was it a combination of things?
1: You know, I, um, you know, I mentioned I teach martial arts, and I, I also teach um, something called adrenal stress training, which is a self-defense system that helps a person learn how to manage their adrenaline when they're in a, um, well, an adrenalized moment or state. Yeah. And I, I was at an instructor's training, and a very good friend of mine was the head of the organization and on this instructor weekend um, he was doing custom scenarios. So he would, he and the other members there would stage uh, a scenario like your worst nightmare. Um, And my buddy, uh, and then take you through it and let you deal with the anxiety and that fear. And hopefully you can move forward feeling a little different about it. Hmm. right well he asked me hey man you want to you want to do a custom i was like no man i'm good i'm good let the other people do it he's like you sure it's like yeah i'm good and uh he walked away and boom the emotion just like i'm doing everything in my power to keep my eyes trying to choke back the tears i'm Hmm. blinking i'm looking um trying to keep the tears inside my body. Hmm. Next day he asked me again. I'm like, nah, I'm good. But it's the same thing, man. I was so choked up. It was ridiculous. Uh, he, then, he knew. Huh? He knew. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> he did. <laughs> um, but uh, by Sunday morning, I said, I asked him, I said, Hey Bill, can I talk to you? And he's like, yeah, sure. we we'll go off in the corner. And I was like, Hey man, I want to do a scenario. He's like, yeah, no problem. What do you want to do? And then, you know, I try to say out loud what happened to me in kindergarten. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can't hardly talk again, just like being a six-year-old. And he's like, after I kind of explain, he's like, oh, you were orally
0: raped. First person that actually acknowledged that it was I was 40, 45 years old. Yeah.
1: The first person in my life says says I was raped. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened. Yeah. But I didn't understand that. I didn't understand I was taken advantage of that. I was, you know, that the world got turned upside down that day and all twisted around. I didn't know that. I carried that around my whole life and all that pain and unprocessed emotion, unprocessed grief. And that day he, uh, just those few words. And then, and then I did the scenario, which, you know, helped too, but just hearing those words changed my life.
0: Mm. From what I've, everything I've learned is that to be able to externalize something and then to have it validated that it wasn't your fault, that it wasn't anything that you could have changed. Like just that in itself is just well, like, just like you described then, the relief and the healing and you just can't, you can't move on with some things until you do that. I, I believe
1: you're tethered to your past until, and, and until you deal with it, you'll remain tethered to it and that tether is your is bondage or a chain and it keeps you from being free. Yeah. And we need freedom.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (sighs) What, um, what I'm always looking for, Mark, is the, is the links to, People's experience and what they do now, and to me, it's no surprise that you ended up in the military with protection, and then and then kung fu also protection. But then from from the journey of like, but but kung fu is so much more than that, right? It, it's it's almost mirrors the journey that you went on, and oh, you must have quite the ability to absorb large amounts of stuff not just for you, but for the people that you teach and and serve as well? Um,
1: In Kung Fu, we teach a term here. It's central to everything we do, these Mm -hmm. two words. And in Chinese, it's yang sheng, yang sheng. And it means to nourish life. Mm. And the one thing... You know. In my experience, the best thing you can do is go through life, nourishing your own life and nourishing yeah. the lives of those around you. Like yeah. there's nothing better that a person can do with their day. Like this podcast nourishes life. It deals with a sticky subject, yeah, but Yeah. It, it, but it's it's a subject that people We don't know how to work with. We don't know what it is. We don't even know what it is half the time. Yeah. And we don't need know how badly we need to grieve. Uh, We don't know what, what to grieve, you know? So this podcast nourishes life. And um, I think if we all could think in terms of like, how do I nourish my kid's life? Is it going to be, I got nothing against people drinking alcohol. I have a beer once in a while. Um, But am I going to nourish my kid's life by teaching him to drink? You you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, having a a social drink or some celebration. Okay. But do I really need to teach him to drink a six pack every day when he comes Mm. home from work? Yeah. I don't need to teach him that. (laughs) He Mm. can figure that out on his own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um Mark, this has been such a fantastic episode and, and I really thank you and honor you for sharing so openly these experiences. Is there any message you'd love to leave with people just around a couple of things that you've mentioned, which is hope and and the um importance of speaking up?
1: Yeah. I think if if you've got pain on the inside, I think you should um, maybe drop what you're doing in today and take the time to find somebody that can help you to process that pain. And whatever your pain, whatever's at the root of your pain, um, it it needs attention and it deserves attention. And you deserve, you deserve to get this out of you. And if you're angry and you know, like there's people out there who are angry or maybe they're like, uh, incredibly quiet and reserved and passive. There's something at the bottom of that. that yeah. There is, you're not broken, but there's something underneath that's keeping you afraid or keeping you angry. And I, I believe it's almost always some pain that you've experienced somewhere, some emotional trauma, some pain. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the, the rest is just, you know, give
0: yourself some grace, have some compassion. Yeah. Love it. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. Can you, can you share two things? Well, it's actually three. Cause the two, the names of the, the two books that, that oh, sure. Josh, has, Josh has written and also where people can find out more about you. Sure. So, um,
1: Josh's books are on Amazon. You can, uh, uh, find them there at the first one is Josh's world. And the second one is Josh's friends. And they're meant to be conversational between Josh and the reader, but also between the parent or grandparent and the kid. So they're kind of fun. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook, just that, you know, my profile, Mark Oblowski. you can hit me up there. Uh, also my website, g o b l o w s k y G-O-B-L-O-W-S-K-Y.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Mark. I'll be checking those books out. We'll make sure we get the links to the, both those books in the show notes as well. Great. Uh, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I, I feel honored to be here. Thanks. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code Podcast thank you so much for listening please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too if you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief let's chat email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com you can also stay connected with me by joining the grief code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code and remember so that I can help even more people to heal Please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.